were in, in Michigan this week, and, uh, and uh, any of you who've been through the men's discipleship group, I, I, they said, we want you to teach on what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, and how do you replicate that? So I basically took the men's discipleship group, squeezed it down into one week, and brought the cookies to the high school shelf. And uh, so it was a really fun but good week, but it was just very encouraging for me to know as I'm teaching this, I'm thinking of many of you all and the discussions and the teaching and the way you have lived that out in the men's discipleship group. But uh, I said to them, I said, I can speak this week, but I I absolutely have to miss the Saturday session because we need to get home and I'm not going to miss Sunday morning before the sabbatical for anything. Uh, So they were kind enough to release me from Saturday morning teaching there to be able to be home uh, last night and to to be here. So um, it was very cool. Several students uh, gave their life to Christ and uh, several students who had said that they were Christians but weren't living it were actually saying, I'm ready to actually commit to being a disciple, a fully committed disciple uh, to Jesus. So it was a very, very encouraging week, but uh, great to be back. And I'm so glad that we can be here this morning. So um, so this is weird. This is my last teaching until November here. Uh, I love teaching. You all know that. So I'm going to uh, make the most of this. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And as you're turning there, we've been in Acts 2. And uh, in our last gathering, we uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Pentecost, you remember, there was a violent wind. There were thousands of people, by the way, um, from many different nations all over the known world that were gathered in Jerusalem. And a furious wind and a chaotic fire descended upon the place where the people were meeting and rested, that fire rested over each one of their heads. Uh, not over the super spiritual ones or just the religious leaders, but everybody's head. Uh, which is a very important thing for us to understand. It was like the United Nations coming together. They had their translator headpieces on and then realized we no longer need these translation pieces because what God's doing, it's now present um, and uh, we can understand this in our own language. And we looked at how God was reversing the curse back from Genesis chapter 11, right? The Tower of Babel, where He was confusing languages. God is actually bringing it so that all languages could actually be understood at, at this point. And it was a strategic reverse mission trip, right? The world comes to one place, the Spirit shows up, and those people go home and say, you won't believe what just happened. An amazing thing happened that I've got to tell you about. Um, And it was so chaotic, the people were perplexed, astonished, amazed enough that they actually thought that the people there that day were drunk. And so we're going to look at what uh, Peter said uh, in that. But, uh, you know, by the way, God said this would happen. Now, one of the things that's been cool doing the study on this is I, I didn't recognize that the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah, which I know was probably your morning devotions this morning, uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, it says this, For at a time, God says, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. So God's just going, hey, I told you this was coming. Here it is. Boom. So now that you've turned in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, I've actually asked Liz McEwen if she would actually be our reader. So she's going to sit up here with me and actually read uh, the passage along. We'll take little breaks along the way uh, in the process. And let me grab you a mic here. Um, And uh, so we're going to be starting uh, reading here in uh, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. You can follow along as Liz reads. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, as all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. 
tell me nine in the morning. No, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Yeah, so Peter, filled with the Spirit, steps up to respond in the midst of the confusion. I think you'd be confused. I'd be confused. I'd be a little bit startled if I saw all this happen and would think, what in the world is going on? Peter, not having planned anything, not having prepped anything, simply stands up and begins to start talking about this, right? And he says, hey, look, nobody's drunk here. Nobody's drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. But no prep doing this. Now, here's, here's something I think is really important for us to grasp. This is huge. Now remember, God uses Peter in a dramatic way. But remember, just a few weeks prior, what happened to Peter? He makes the biggest mistake of his life. In the time when Jesus needed him the most, right? Leading up to his crucifixion. Someone says, hey, you look familiar. I know you. Don't you follow Jesus? No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about Him. What are you talking about? Not once, not twice, but three times. Totally denies Him. Totally betrays Jesus. And Peter weeps because he's just overwhelmed by what he's done. This is my rabbi. I'm supposed to be like him. He's poured his life into me. He believes in me. And all of a sudden, I'm just embarrassed enough that I say, forget about it. And weeks later, God then, in His graciousness, redeems Peter in this very moment and has him stand up, this screw-up weeks later is actually the one that begins to explain and bring clarity to what God's doing here. When I was prepping for this a few weeks ago, I just got goosebumps thinking about the fact that we think that we're disqualified and God says, no, no, I'll take even the biggest screw-ups. Even the one that has denied me the most when I needed Him the most. He uses it to see the spread of the good news when the Spirit shows up. I think that's amazing. Because I don't know about you, I've been trapped in those seasons where I just go, there's no way I can recover from this. God can't possibly use me. He's given me too many chances. I'm sure I've used up the quota. And I love that Peter is the one, not some of the other disciples, but Peter is the one that God uses in this particular location. Just let that sink in for a moment. And as we read this morning... um, as Liz reads in just a moment, I want you to notice something. Because in the book of Acts, there's, there's a pattern that happens. Something dramatic happens, a healing, a sign, a wonder, something incredible. And then there's this pattern. This is the pattern. Someone stands up afterwards with no prep, usually, and says, let me explain just what happened. You don't have to freak out. Let me just explain what happened. Number two, let me explain about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then let me explain how you can respond to that. And it happens through repentance and baptism. Notice the pattern. When we go through Acts, this, this, the rest of this summer and fall, you'll notice what just happened, the life, and death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and here's how you can respond to that. Notice the pattern. Notice the pattern. In fact, yeah, Liz is going to read uh, starting in verse 16 here. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
A few years ago, Megan and I uh, decided to go for our fifth anniversary. We had saved up. We decided to go to Costa Rica. And that's one of the things, when we got married, we said every five years, we want to save a little bit each month, put a little bit away so that we can take a trip and not regret that we get the end of our marriage. At, you know, we're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, and we just say, we just didn't travel. We love to travel. So we try to do that a little bit. So on the fifth anniversary, we decided we're going to go to Costa Rica. And through some friends, we found that this website is called CheapCaribbeanTravel.com. Anyway, it's out of Doylestown. Some of you may know this. And we know somebody that worked there. So they were able to get us a deal and say, oh, you should go to this place. This is where you should go. So so we booked through there. And part of it is it's all included in terms of your flight and and like transportation to where you're going. And then once you get there, you're just there for the week. So we were kind of excited about this. So um, one of the things they sent us uh, ahead of time is they said, when you land in San Jose, you go through the doors and you just look for the people who are wearing the bright orange shirts. So we're going, okay. You know, if you've ever traveled internationally, it's fun when you have a host that greets you there. But when you don't, there's that little bit of an unsettled feeling of going, I don't really know where I'm going. I know enough Spanish to make me dangerous, but I'm not totally fluent like I used to be when I was a kid when I lived in Puerto Rico. So I'm kind of struggling in that way. But I just have these instructions in front of me that say, just walk out of customs and keep going. Just keep walking out of the building until you get to the people wearing the big orange, bright orange shirts. Like, okay. I mean, I hope this is accurate, right? So we walk out, we have our stuff. Hey, there's a guy with an orange shirt. Hey, are you? Nope, not you. Okay, no, that's a little orange, but it's not bright orange. He has a name tag. He looks like he's with a tourist agency. Like, is it... uh, uh, it says, no, honey, like, we gotta just keep, it says walk out of the building. Okay, but we can't walk back in, right? Cause once you're out, you can't go. So, we're like, I mean, for, there's a good 15, 20 minutes, we're like, I, I don't, orange shirt, it says keep walking, alright, we'll keep walking and just kind of figure this out, and I guess we'll just get a taxi or something, wherever we're going. I don't even know the address where we're going, does it have a name of it? So, we walk out, and we're just going, I think, and then sure enough, there were like six orange buses and these bright orange shirts, like just dozens of these people. They had this down to a science. Oh, there it is. Just like they said it. Just like they said it would happen. Right? What it took for us was like, maybe these aren't right. Maybe they aren't going to be as orange as we think. Will they be easy to spot? And it was almost laughable. Once we, I mean, it's just like you can't miss them. They were exactly right. That is exactly what, what Peter is saying here. Jesus, Jesus and, 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 and His life, death, and resurrection, but even before that, through the prophet Joel, saying, hey, it's written right here. This is going to happen. So like, is this the time? Is this, gonna, is this when it... Are those the orange shirts? And you just, just keep waiting. It's written. It's going to happen. And much to our relief, we walked, oh, good, there we are. And of course, got on the bus and then got where we needed to go. In many ways, this is what Peter's saying. Joel has spoken about this. The prophet Joel has said, and Peter's saying, here it is, just like it was written, just like we told you it would happen. It's happening the way it would. It's coming true. It's coming true right now. And God's work at Pentecost is inclusive. Remember we talked about that no group is left out. It is the everyone promise. Everyone can get in on this, but it's also focused. It's both 
inclusive and exclusive. It's open to anyone, but it's open to anyone who's focused in what's uh, what Liz just read in verse uh, 21. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord uh, will be saved, will be rescued. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. <coughs> Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the So, so Peter begins to explain, right, in the midst of the chaos. By the way, you ever been in a situation where something really startling just happened? Right? And you're just begging for someone to bring some sort of coherence or clarity to a situation that occurred? I remember there was a situation, I was sitting in a room and something totally out of the blue happened and we were all startled, deeply startled. And this leader, very good leader, was able to come in and bring some... some they said, okay, guess what everybody? It's going to be alright. It's going to be all right. Let me explain just what happened. And then he prayed, and then he said, everyone okay? Good. All right, let's exhale. I mean, you could hear a pin drop when he was talking. Everyone's like, please, bring some clarity to what's going on here. Please help me understand. Bring some security here in the midst of such craziness. Um, and again, and Peter's saying, this is not to divide. This is not to frighten. Anytime these sort of things happens, happen, remember, it's an evangelistic tool that God's using. It's not chaos to divide. It's chaos for people to go, Whoa! Wasn't expecting that. Where did that come from? What does that mean? It jolts us and startles us to say, Somebody please explain what's happening here. Right? And Peter's pretty, pretty blunt. I mean, look in verse 24. Right? It's pretty blunt. You know, this is the Jesus who you crucified. I mean, he's, he's really getting raw here in his sermon. And he's stressing the corporate responsibility of Jesus being put to death. We all had a part to play in our sin and our separation uh, with God, our, our rebellion. By the way, this is no different, and, and actually it's much more mild than some of the older Old Testament prophets and how they spoke. It's pretty mild compared to some of the stuff that Amos and Isaiah 
And even Jeremiah said about Israel. So even though he's kind of blunt and forthright and kind of, kind of a sharp blade there, it's not nearly as blunt as, as what the prophets had said. And the prophecies that, that, uh, that Liz just read, that there's no, gonna be no division and no separation between gender and age, privilege, socioeconomic differences, the Spirit wants to unite. And he's quoting the Old Testament, which I'm, I'm inspired by this. That Peter actually presents the good news of God's overarching rescue plan using the Old Testament. What about you? When you, when you share the, the good news of Jesus, we often use only the New Testament. Peter here is using just the Old Testament. And maybe there's some growth that we need to understand God's whole overarching story that doesn't just start in the book of Matthew, but starts in the book of Genesis. And he quotes King David. And one of Luke's key phrases that I want you to... I'm going to give you two key phrases that I want you to notice throughout Acts. Okay, The first one, which we skim over because it's a very churchy word, is the idea of salvation. But Luke is always wanting us to see the salvation that's at hand. Salvation, by the way, same word is also heal. Remember, what is Luke's profession? He's a doctor. So the idea of healing and salvation being connected is very important and very intentional on his part. Because he knows that when we are saved, we are healed. Um, and again, it's not just saying a prayer. It's not fire insurance. Just saying a prayer and I'm going to go to heaven. Hey, I checked the box when I was six. I'm good to go, right? Just kind of wait it out here till the end. And, uh, and my fire insurance uh, policy has been paid for. It's knowing that God, through the rescuing power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what was stated before going, is this it? Are we... Boom! There it is, right in front of you, waiting for you, just like it said it would happen, Peter reminds us, that the resurrection is what defines the church. It defines our church. And it says salvation and healing are actually available to us. The salvation, Luke also tells us, is about rescue. So there's this salvation, healing, rescue sort of dynamic uh, going on. And it's not, I get to go to heaven when I die. You've heard me say this before because this is so important. I'm going to repeat it again. Too many Christians have the mindset that I'm going to take earth to heaven when I die. That is a limited understanding of God's salvation story. When He... When, he, when we choose to follow and enter into that, it is not taking earth to heaven when we die. It's fully living into how heaven has come to earth now as we live. So when we say, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying, May heaven come to earth now as we live, not I'm going to take earth to heaven when I die. Does that make sense? It's, it's a nuance, but it's so important because it changes it for us. By the way, Dallas Willard, one of the things that Dallas said is, if that's God's sole purpose for you, your life, is to secure fire insurance and then just wait it out until you die or Christ returns, he says, if, if that's his sole purpose, the moment you become a Christian, go. Go now. What are you waiting for? Just leave then. But that isn't what the salvation story is all about. It's about saying we enter into eternity now. Right now is available to us. And Peter makes that very clear for us. So salvation and healing, but also it's the word Messiah. And that's a very purposeful why he brings up 
why Peter brings up David, right? David was seen as the Mashiach, right? Mashiach means, uh, and I love Hawking Lugie saying Hebrew words, isn't it fun? Mashiach means uh, anointed one, anointed one. And by the way, there were several Mashiachs, several anointed ones, like this is the one, this is the king, this is the one that's going to rule and bring, bring peace to our area, to the dominion of the king. But here Peter says, Jesus is the Mashiach of all Mashiachs. He is the the king over everything. That God's plan of salvation was about pointing towards God's fulfillment through Israel's Messiah, who would put put into action the task of rescuing the world. The rescue plan, Peter is saying, is now beginning. It's now beginning. And notice it. Pay attention to it. He says, we were once God's enemies, but with repentance we can be actually become the friends of God. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Right, so Peter says, don't be discouraged. Even though you, you led him to his death, God made him both Lord and Messiah. You had a role to play, but guess what? God's bigger than that. He actually redeemed and rescued that plan that you thought would derail it, but it didn't. It actually brought it, it ushered it in even further for us. And it says, as Liz just read in verse 37, people were cut to the heart. Oh man, they felt the burden, they felt the guilt, they felt the weight of exactly what Peter's saying. And I have to wonder, what is Peter thinking? Right? Does Peter step up? He was a bold guy, but going, I just betrayed Jesus a few weeks ago, and now I'm speaking boldly. And now when he's done talking, the people begin to go, you are so right. I don't know if there were tears or silence or response, whatever it was, but people are cut to the heart. What a great phrase. Cut to the heart. What's interesting, I, I think of, uh, uh, I, I've been to, to Spain, and uh, I, I've been to a bullfight, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it's, it can be a little bit gruesome, but there's an art form, I understand. The, the Spaniards sort of see it as, as a beautiful thing, and it's kind of a lot of pomp and circumstances. And uh, so, when the bull is there, and there's like several people that come out with the bull, but then the matador, you know, he comes out with his cape and all this drama, and it's almost like a dance that he's doing with the bull, right? So he, he's trying to be graceful, even though he's scared to death, knowing this 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 beast could could uh, totally charge him and kill him, could gore him to death, right? And so finally, when the best of matadors, or uh, earlier picadores come out and they have these little spikes, and it sounds very gruesome, I know, and they actually jab it. They, they like run at him and like stick him. Thanks for being my bull. Just stick him right, right in the shoulder so that it weakens the neck muscle and the bull can no longer bring its head up. 
So the bull is down like this. Then the matador is getting ready because what he's trying to do, almost like fencing, take the sword. He knows that if he can stick the sword right through here in this fatty part, it can actually, it's just long enough. He can insert it just enough that it goes through the neck and it just touches the heart. And if it just touches the heart of the bull, the bull collapses and dies immediately. And that's the goal. Again, it's very gruesome. It's weird for us to understand that. But I've always thought about the matador in this situation. The Holy Spirit is sort of, you know, they're, they're sort of understanding. Their, their, their neck muscles are getting weak in their soul of just realizing, man, there's a burden. Like this is, I'm a part of this. I've been part of what, what was causing Jesus' death here, my own sin. And it's as if Peter and the Holy Spirit are working together to say, cut to the heart. As soon as that sword touched the heart, what do I do now? What do I do now? How do I respond? Convicted of their sin. Now remember, we talked about when the Holy Spirit is present two weeks ago. Several things happen. One of those things we said is what? It often initiates a response. What do I do now? What do I do with this? It's exactly what happened, right? Peter didn't say, here's what you should do. They said, what do we do? He says, I'm glad you asked. Here's what you do about it. And he says, repent and be baptized. And again, for some of us, we've got a lot of baggage around that word repent. Right? Repentance. Right? And, and it comes from the word metanoia. We, paranoia, right, is where we go around and around a problem, but we don't ever actually deal with it. Metanoia is half of that. It's pulling a U-turn. Right? This idea of repentance, pulling a U-turn. And they say, he says, live your life differently. You have to align your life differently than you have before because there's a new reality. Jesus is wearing the big orange shirt, just like we said he was. And he's here. Now you need to turn and change your ways. Galatians 1, it says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. So if salvation and rescue work together, there's also another word called uh, justification. Now again, another churchy word, but you think about justified. Maybe you've heard this before, but this is the easiest way to explain it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. So justification is a very legal term, but it's where Jesus says, you have sinned, but because you've been rescued, it's just as if I'd never sinned. This will be a theme that's throughout the teachings of explanation when amazing things happen in the book of Acts. So notice, justified. Justification throughout. Jesus has done that for us. Now remember, uh, N.T. Wright um, said that it is not good advice, it is good news. I think in our culture today, we think it's a lot of good advice. Advice is different than news. News is, this is the reality. This is what's happening. This is the truth of what's going on, and then we need to decide how we interact with or respond to that truth. This inclusive and yet ex- exclusive idea, open to anybody, but open to anybody that's willing to say, yes, Jesus is the one who will rescue me, so it is just as if I'd never sinned. And he says, repent and believe. Now, if you've been to the men's discipleship group, you've seen this diagram before, Right? Some of you are probably smiling. Oh, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. What's interesting, why is it that repent and believe or repent and be baptized? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus says that when He says to His followers, 
He says, he says, repent and believe the good news. Well, I thought they were the same thing. Wait, what do you mean? How do I? Well, here, here's the thing. And when I was with the high school students last week, I taught this. And it was so fun to see the light bulbs go off with them. And they're like, oh my goodness, this is so helpful. Right? So we have a kairos moment, something that's pregnant with possibility. It's in either aha or uh-oh. It's a great moment or a bad moment, but it's never neutral. It marks us deeply. News of cancer, news of divorce, a car accident, a promotion at work. It could be a good thing. But oftentimes it can be moments where we're completely out of control. And in this case, this is a capital K Kairos moment for all those people that are watching all this happen with wind and tongues and fire. And I'm hearing all this and like I can understand in my language what in the world is going on. Kairos moments are oftentimes where God's knocking saying, I'm trying to get your attention. Are you listening? This is a moment. This is an invitation for you to respond to make you bitter or better. What are you going to decide? And this is exactly what Peter's trying to say here. How do you respond in this Kairos moment? There's repent and believe. And, and, and go, back, go back to the diagram again there, Denise. So the idea of observing. First of all, to observe what's going on. What's happening here? Can I grasp fully what's happening? And then to reflect on it. What am I supposed to do here with this? Right? And then to be able to discover, wow, this really is a moment that I have to respond to God if I'm serious about this. It's an invitation for Him to say, join me in this, join me in this, join me in this, right? Now there's a little dotted line through the middle, and this is where most of the, the high school students last week, the light bulb went off for them. See, the problem with this is that oftentimes we can repent, and then we just go straight back up and never actually believe. We repent, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And then we just go back up to our ways. Oh, I'm sorry. And then we wonder, in this D-shape, we wonder why we're not actually growing and maturing down to the other end of our lives. Why is there no maturity? It's because we never actually are going to the other side of believing it. And when we believe it is, we begin to have a plan. And it could be as simple as, I need to stop doing what I've been doing because it doesn't work. <laughs> or, I've got to go a different way and I then need other people to help me in this. This is where the church, the role of the church comes in. This is where the church provides challenge and support because we're meant to grow together, right? So all these people there, and Peter's saying, repent and believe, all of you, plural, right? And we need each other, so we have accountability, not to slap each other on the wrist and say, don't do that again, that's bad, but to say, no, 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 lean into what God has for you. Actually believe this, and then to actually act on it. If we don't act on it, we actually haven't fully believed it yet. Right? So, no wonder Peter says repent and believe. They're two different things. I don't know about you, but I've been around a lot of people and there have been seasons in my life where I'm really good at repenting and I'm really bad at believing. But to be able to go around the whole circle and to have others go with us say, I can't be living this way. I realize this is damaging. I realize my part in the damage that I've played. But I also then need to move in a direction where I live this out. I believe it. And the way people know I believe it is by actually doing it. Alright, next slide. So if you think about this idea of both repentance and rescue being here, repentance is like missing the exit on the turnpike and turning around, right? Oops, 
oh man, like so when we're coming home, we were coming across I-80 through Ohio yesterday and Pennsylvania, then we get on 476 at like Allentown and we come down, right? And you're always like, as soon as you pay the toll or you got easy pass, right? You're, I don't know about you, but I get a little bit nervous, like east, west, west, oh, we're going uh, south, yeah, yeah, that's right. Even though I know, and I've done it a thousand times, I'm doing it because I know, one little mistake, it's like an hour out of my way, Right? Admit it, admit it if you've ever gotten on and when like 200 feet later you're like, oh no! Right? Right? Yes, yes. Thank you for the three people who are honest. The rest of you are liars. Right? So, but we missed the turnpike exit, right? That's what repentance is, where it's in my control where I say, I've missed the exit. I gotta go up to Quakertown and turn around. I meant to go down towards Plymouth Meeting, but I'm going towards Quakertown. So I gotta go up and turn around and come back the right direction. That's in my control. But rescue is different. Rescue is drifting out at sea. I just ordered a book. You can go to the next slide here. I just ordered a book called Adrift. And, uh, it's about this guy. Uh, he's, he's, the longest recorded person who's been adrift at sea and lived. It was like 76 days, no water, no food, and he just worked contraptions out and how to catch fish with the supplies he had and collect water in his shirt and the stuff, the supplies he had and kind of lived off that. Lost tons of weight, deeply sunburned, but he lived to tell about it. That's our spiritual state Repentance is where we have the chance in our control to pull a U-turn. But really in our sinful state, it's rescue. As in, if a helicopter doesn't show up, if a barge doesn't go by, I'm done. And many times this man who wrote the book Adrift, he thought, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. He said, the only way available left to me is if by some sort of fate or luck or whatever, someone happens to be going by and seeing that I'm here. Peter's saying that. He's like, you are so in over your head with your sin, you need a rescue. You need a rescue. And without it, you're done. So here's the important thing to remember in our life, and Peter is really good at stressing this. Next slide. Our job is repentance, but God's job is rescue. Don't ever fool yourself into believing you can rescue yourself. You can't. We can't. I can't. Your job is repentance. But God's job is rescue. Because we are adrift at sea, utterly dependent upon the God who's capable of picking us up. And He wants to do that. And He's powerful enough to do that, which is wonderful. See, Peter's, Peter's teaching, as much of the New Testament teaching is, especially in Acts, is a fork in the road. It's always a fork in the road. Are you going to continue to live the way you've always lived, or are you going to be different? Are you going to continue to go down this path of destruction, or are you going to do something different? What will you decide? And he says, will you turn, and will you repent, and will you believe, or will you stay right where you're at? And verse 41, in the midst of all of this dramatic stuff, and when they all have, you know, Peter, Peter's got everyone's attention, please help us clarify what just happened. He talks about the good news. He says, the orange shirt, Jesus is wearing the orange shirt and is ready, just like he said, just like it's written, and the rescue is there for you. And no wonder 3,000 people signed up that day. No wonder. Because that was the good news they had been waiting for for generation after generation after generation after generation. 
Now some people say, look, a megachurch was born that day. Actually, you know why that's not true? Because they all left and went home. (laughs) They didn't stay there. They actually went back and began to go, you won't believe it. You know how we've been needing a rescuer? You know how we need a U-turn here? You know how we've missed the exit? Guess what? Just like it was written, we saw the orange shirt. We saw the orange shirt and it's available right now. Now we are repent and be baptized people. That's who we are. And God's rescue operation of salvation, salvation is about rescue. So I actually, I know the last few times we haven't had a chance for interaction or discussion. And I actually want to just press the pause button for just a few short minutes and just let you respond. What are you hearing in this? What would you be thinking or feeling? Or what's sticking out to you from this passage that Liz has read here um, this morning? Feel free to interact. What do you see? What's, what's bubbling to the surface of your soul or your mind? Yeah, Kent. Yeah. In the text we read, it said, uh, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just, I'm just sort of wondering, is there more of a connection with baptism, huh. repentance, and salvation than sometimes we want to admit? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So baptism is that then act, the specific act of how we're believing, Right. And it's kind of cool because that's on the forefront of our minds from a few weeks ago, right? And one of the things that's important is people say, I want to be baptized, right? There are people that have said to me, I want to be baptized, and I hear their story and I go, I didn't hear much of a repentance there, right? God's a good guy. This is good stuff. I want to do this. Okay, that's cool. But remember, we're adrift at sea, (laughs) right? We need a rescue. But it also requires me admitting I'm going north on 476 when I should be going south. Right? That's that stepping out. So the repentant belief part, you're right. The baptism is the way. Here's how you act on that. Right? The fruit of repentance of actually seeing that played out. But you're right. It is more connected. And maybe it would be good for us as we read the book of Acts to actually notice other times because repentance and baptism are connected. I'm just thinking about it right now. That would be good because we're going to see that throughout the rest of the book, too. That's a good thought. That's a really good thought. Yeah, great. Yeah, Kent. From Kent to Ken. I'm so thankful that, uh, that even though Peter denied him, God continues. Yeah. Because it's like an everyday act. Uh, staying in the way. Just not doing it on our own. Yeah. Huh? Anybody else moved by that like Ken was in this passage? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jonathan, yeah. For me, we kind of talking about it. I was thinking about the parable of the tenants. Huh? Like, oh, 
McGonner. Yeah. Yep. And no wonder people are like, wait, there's hope now? Are you serious? What? You know? I don't know if there have been moments in your life where you've been cut to the heart, you know? Where the spear's gone through you and just just touched your heart enough you just collapse and go, oh my goodness. And that's where Peter says, whoa, 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 but it's not the end. There's actually hope here. You can get up from this. You can be rescued from this. Yeah. Yeah, good. Great connection too, by the way, to the words of Jesus. That's awesome. That's why we like to do these things because we can just get a bigger picture when we learn from each other. Awesome. Anyone else? Yes. I think that hit me with how you explained it is before it's always been, oh, the signs and wonders, oh, the huh. signs and wonders. But no, it's about Jesus Christ. Huh. Yeah. That's where, that's where the wow huh. hits. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yep. And when they get that, then they... <laughs> yeah, and remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the role of the Spirit, that He works in both. It's not an either-or, but it's a both-and, right? Both the sensational and the subtle, right? And that the Spirit is always Jesus-centric, right? So, yeah. So the Spirit does some amazing things, but what happens? Jesus is glorified, right? No surprise, because that's the role of the Spirit. He would never do anything that runs counter... To Jesus, they wouldn't butt heads on that. Saying, "Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get everyone's attention. Then you come in and you give them the hope." Jesus goes, "All right." The Spirit goes, "Great, let's do it." Right? There's a partnership there. Yeah. And so, even though people get freaked out by the Spirit in that, it's Jesus that comes in, and and Peter uses uh, is used to be able to bring, "Oh wow, look at this. Great. Yeah." So Jesus becomes famous through this. Yeah. Great. What else? Maybe one or two more. Yeah, Ange. So as I was just reflecting back on the scriptures, there's a lot of passages of praise that jump out that are, um, well, first of all, the kind of Uh-huh. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like our and just the fact that the agony 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's a, such a great reminder that their posture wasn't like, well, what do you think, honey? We probably should do it because everyone else is doing it. No, I was like, are you kidding me? Where do I sign up for that? Woo! I mean, we think our baptisms are cool. Wouldn't you love to see those 3,000 baptized? What kind of joy that would be? You know, it would be pretty amazing. Yeah, and you're right. It's that sort of, the good news is only good because we have to grasp the bad first. You know what I mean? That makes sense? We sometimes only focus on the good. But the good is only made good because of we understand fully what happened with the bad. How many people here, how many guys here have actually proposed at some point in their life? Raise your hand. Okay. Good. Some of the wives are like, stick your hand up. You Come on, what are you doing? Right? Now, if you went to the jeweler, you may remember this. It happens almost every time. And you go, ooh, I think she would like that one. Or maybe you took her and kind of went shopping with her. Ooh, let's look at that one. Right? And you got the glass case on top. Here's what they will never do. Take the ring out and put it on the glass case and let you look at it. What do they do? They pull out the black pad. And then they put the ring on top of it. Why? Because the contrast between the black and the white sparkly diamond, they want you to go, oh, yes, I'll take that. Right? The good news is only good when it's contrasted with our bad. And then we go, oh, it really is good news. It's amazing. Right? So they're cut to the heart. The black pad is out on their life. And once it's out, Peter goes, but look at this. Right? And then they respond with joy, like Anne said, What? I can have this? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah, maybe one more. Any other thoughts just before we land the plane here? Yes. Yeah, Gary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that in two weeks. You talk about taking that Kairos circle seriously and acting on that. To not say, wow, I prayed a prayer and now I'm going to go home. No, no, no. They, they actually knew, whoa, there is a new reality. I'm a part of something bigger. This is going to require a bigger response for me than I ever anticipated. And I get that it wasn't like, well, Jeremy said he needed ten bucks. I guess I'll just give him ten bucks. Like this joy of saying, no, 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 we're going to be in this together. We're going to do this together. Yeah, so preview of coming attractions, but you're exactly right. That's part of their response and how they lived to this rescue plan, this rescue operation. Yeah. Well, as we, that's great. Thank you, Gary. Like, as we end, here's what I want us to think through. And I'm going to, I'm going to allow you to respond just silently to yourself on this. But like Peter, I want to give you a chance to respond and think through this idea of repentance and rescue. Okay? So repentance, sin, brokenness, maybe there are hidden secrets, deceit. Maybe the past week or two, there's been the truth plus or minus 10%. And this idea of rescue, maybe you long for your marriage to be rescued, for that addiction you have that so few people know about, the emotional hurt, that physical pain, that abusive situation, relationally, emotionally, physically. 
So with that said, I think it's important for us to pause and ask some hard-hitting questions, just like Peter was involved in this hard-hitting message. And I want you to just reflect for a moment. What do you long for God to rescue you from? I mean, really, like right now. Where do you feel like you're in the life raft and you're feeling like, unless God shows up, I'm done. I'm a goner. Financially, saying, if I don't get a job in the next week or next month, I'm done. Unless God comes through here, it's over. And then to say, what? If, if that's where we long for God to rescue us, think about the Kairos circle. Is there anything in terms of pulling a U-turn where you just say, I need to come clean with this? And part of the metanoia, the U-turn, is just naming it, right? Naming things as a way of changing things. <laughs> just being able to say, i got to name this, what, this is what it is. I've kept it hidden for too long. I've been embarrassed about it. There's been pride in my life. I just need to bring it into the light to start. So what is that from you of that repentance, that response, that can actually initiate that growth in your life. In that, and this is a, maybe a Kairos moment you're recognizing right now. It's pregnant with possibility where God's knocking on the, the door of your life and this is an opportunity for you to grow. And you can be bitter or you can actually grow and lean into me even further. Which will you choose? So what is it for you? What are you observing, reflecting, discovering right now and saying, I've got to do something about it? And I've got to repent of this. Maybe we need to repent of trying to rescue ourselves. So what is that? So I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then like we do, I know we've got some guests here, we actually have something called intermission. We just press the pause button and allow us to connect and interact, use the restroom, retrieve our children and bring them back in here, and then we'll take communion together. And communion, by the way, is about our opportunity, what's in our control, to actually repent, to pull U-turn, of those areas of our lives that have not been in alignment with Him, with God, but also to acknowledge Thank you for showing up and rescuing me because without it, I'm just adrift at sea and I'm a goner. That's what communion is. And then to be able to celebrate, thank you for rescuing me. Right? Can you imagine one of these, these big liners that, you know, there's a cruise ship or some sort of battleship going by that sees somebody and rescues them and um, the person being rescued is just like, hey, you know, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. No, they'd be like, oh my gosh, like, what do I need to do to thank you? Like, I owe my life to you. Right? And then we respond with joy. No wonder this in some traditions, the Eucharist, which comes from the word thanksgiving, the great thanksgiving, to come to the table to say, I need rescuing. I'm coming with a willingness to repent, but I also celebrate because this is a great thanksgiving for me to respond this way. So we'll do that after intermission. But while we do that in the back area, actually up front, up front 
if, if you all want to be prayed for. Maybe it's in the area of rescue or uh, repentance, or maybe it's just saying, I just need, I'm just so overwhelmed with gratitude. We're going to have people up here willing to pray. So I just want to encourage you to lean into that. And it might feel a little bit weird to be up front. We don't want you to feel weird. Just come, whatever it is. Praying for gratitude or, or help or repentance or, or I don't even understand what Jared's saying about this idea of rescue. Can you help me understand this more? And so we want to have that available. But let's pray. God, thanks so much. Thank you so much for this passage. Because, uh, God, we can understand why these people were startled and wondering what to do. We're thankful that you use a total screw-up like Peter. And with no prep, no planning, no anything, he steps up and just shares what he knows to be true. What he remembers from the Old Testament. And what he remembered by following Jesus, his master teacher, around. And God was even redeeming Peter by whispering to him, I can still use you even as a screw-up. God, we thank you for this idea that written all along, we can walk out and we actually can find you wearing the bright orange shirt and say, I'm here, just like I said I'd be here, just like it was written down. And I'm here to help you and rescue you. But it takes us repenting and believing of acting that out. And we thank you for us as a church, as Peter says, repent and be baptized, that we got to celebrate that in people's stories in a pool a few weeks ago. What a joy that is. And may we always remember it's about joy. That the good news is only good because we fully understood the bad. We thank you for putting the black mat down even though it cut us to the heart. But it helped us see this white diamond on the black pad to be that much more brilliant and shimmering and awe-inspiring. And we thank you for that. Thanks for this story, God. Help us to lean into that to know how we can get out of the D shape of just repenting and repenting and repenting. But may we actually then repent and believe and act it out as a church. And may that accountability of support and challenge and encouragement be felt from every one of us here as a church. Not so we can be religious moralists or legalists, but so that we can lean into this great message to know that we have been justified just as if I'd never sinned, that God loves us that much and that we can live into that of being His people and share with others what Peter shared with those followers that day. And it's with that that we pray. Amen. Amen.